We welcome you to the Identity Matters Worldview Institute, an outreach of IOM America. You can visit our main website at www.iomamerica.org. We're pleased that you decided to join us. This series is a part of the I Am Online Worldview School, which hosts well over 70 courses related to a biblical worldview. Our focus is this. We address issues relating to the believer's identity in Christ, as well as cultural and political issues of our day. Today's message is coming short of the grace of God. We're trusting that you will be encouraged and highly motivated in Christ. Coming short of the grace of God. This is a topic that a lot of people tend to forget and many ignore. So really, how is it possible for someone to come short of the grace of God? Well, stop. Look around. Ask yourself the question, why are there so many grace of God people void of the authentic reality of grace? Hebrews 12.15 is one of those troubling verses in the New Testament, at least for those of us who struggle with the root of bitterness. By reviewing this passage through the organic Greek, we find the authentic or the authenticity of this passage even more disheartening. As a resident or homespun theologian, I typically throw this passage under the bus through a crafty overstatement of, well, grace applies to all. If it does, Paul was misinformed. In fact, he was teaching us false doctrines. If we were to write this passage accurately, according to the Greek, it would read, quote, See to it that no one comes short of the favor of God. End of quote. Now wait a minute. I thought grace was free, and the love and the favor of Christ is everything, everlasting, unchangeable, and from a source where there is no separation. Isn't it true that the grace of God is implanted in the heart during indwelling regeneration, which is incorruptible, never failing, but always remains? Is it possible that a man, woman, or child can receive this in vain? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, And working together with him... We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In this verse, vain literally means empty-handed. The grace Paul is speaking of here does not mean the grace of God in regeneration, which prompts an effectual calling, which can never be received in vain. Authentic grace of God never fails in producing a thorough work of conversion, nor is it ever lost, but is strictly connected to his now indwelling life. Now here's the facts. There's a kind of grace that can be received in vain by ministers and people, 
when it is put in theory alone, or should I say in words while the hand or heart is empty. When the grace of God is received in word only, it is abused and perverted to vile purposes through a root of bitterness in the heart of man. This is why we are tested. If the man falls from their faith, they are certain to deny and fall away from it. Since real grace is a person, the man rooted in bitterness has no life to cling. This kind of man must devote himself to study, meditation, and prayer, and laboring constantly in the word of theory and doctrine, and by having strict regard, which is the law, to their own lives and their own conversations. If not, they will shame the ministry which they stand. This is all couched in empty-handed grace. So how is the root of bitterness formed? The obvious answer is unforgiveness. The more pronounced reason is people-pleasing. Those who people-please are basically liars. Remembering a liar is one who speaks or demonstrates actions in opposition to what is believed to be true. People-pleasers do things to avoid the reality of conflict. Thus, they say or do things that are from an act of lying versus what they believe. When this turns into a lifestyle, a root of bitterness or unforgiveness is formed. The primary evidence that demands a verdict regarding bitterness is unforgiveness. That's a fact. Forgiveness releases a guilty person while working to restore relationship. When an individual uses silence, separation, or avoidance to cope, A verdict of a root of bitterness is soon to sprout. This only places the person in suspicion of vain grace. This is proof that some receive grace by words, while the authentic receive grace by life, evidenced in authentic forgiveness and restoration, which, by the way, is the whole doctrine of the gospel. All authentic indwell believers are required to go through a process of transferring self-justification, which is theory, to free justification by the righteousness of Christ, which most men receive in vain. As in the day of Paul writing this admonition, most today are prone to fall short of the mark of authentic grace by stopping before indwelt salvation occurs. In the study through the Greek language, this is exactly what Paul is referencing, professing it by word without of deed, which is denying real grace. It says in 2 Corinthians 13:5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test? 
Pop culture hates being tested, particularly when it comes to double-checking another's faith. Most of the rejection and betrayal I've experienced as a minister comes from this ideation. I never assume people are telling me the truth. This kind of assumption is the most common reason people go to hell. Simply hearing words, which are self-justified theories, is not evidence enough to qualify authentic salvation. Christians need to test themselves to see if they are in Christ. That is not only the facts being presented here, but it is also a mandate. So what is the test? This is Authentic Christianity 101. When allowed by our Lord to be mistreated, persecuted, betrayed, or any other form of personal harm, what comes from the man is what demands the verdict. If bitterness comes forth, the test was failed. If the following comes forth, the test is passed. And here's what it says in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit after harm is the test of authentic life. So why does man resist being tested? Well, as a minister of 40 plus years, I've discovered most are afraid of the root of bitterness springing up and causing trouble. And by it, many are defiled, mostly themselves. This kind of root lies hidden in man's heart and is definitely a root of impudent bitterness. When tested in discipleship, it is certain to give trouble, both to a man's self and others, and is of a defiling nature, in particular sins, such as malice, strife, and contention, and jealousy, unforgiveness, lust, pride, oppression, idleness, while it produces a bitter worker. To that I say, ouch. How do I know this to be true? I was one of them. For those who have avoided such a wake-up call, they need to know this root of bitterness is the reason for trouble in churches, doctrinal errors, and heresies, which, like roots, lie underground, secret. And if discovered, they remain a bitter person, working relentlessly to hide behind Christian platitudes. While they were sleeping, the testing of the Lord began, awakening to the reality of the person they knew not. Worse yet, they realized that while they were negligent of diligence and being watchful as they should have been, a tree of knowledge sprouts, defiling all that come and eat from her branches. The most prominent fruit found on this tree is the dark fruit of pride and vain excuses. Now, while it is proper to minister to these individuals, special care should be taken that no such person 
be your intimate friend, hold positions in the church, or become your closest confidant. Why? People with a root of bitterness spread defilement like contagious viruses. Again, this is why placing a person in leadership who has a root of bitterness, once it springs forth, there's a good chance the entire church has the potential of being defiled. How many times have we seen that? Allow me to explain the complexity of this demise. Authentic Christians are not afraid to conduct a survey of things in their own souls, allow themselves to be tested by man and God, and eagerly look forward to the final results. On the other hand, believers in vain may stand opposed to the leadership of God, fearing they indeed may not be in the faith, nor having Christ in them. Our complexity is couched in this. Vain believers have a greater fear of being wrong than they do of the fear of God or to the adherence of scripture of restoration. If a leader fronts them, they tout, you can't judge me. Well, check out 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. For what have I to do with judging others? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Satan has worked tirelessly to penetrate offenses among the saints over the word judge. It is probably because this is the alpha and the omega of his own demise. Scripture makes it clear that we are to judge those who are within the church. This is not only one of our responsibilities, but it is the method our Lord uses to keep the church clean from the root of bitterness. God made it clear that his judgment is for those outside the church, while we saints are to judge those within the bounds of authentic grace, hopefully found within the church. 1 Corinthians 5.13 says, But those who are outside God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Since the enemy has maintained a 100% success rate in twisting this eternal mandate upside wrong, the church is an absolute mess. Literally, the church is filled with grace people, in quotes, that are vain believers. The word calls them imposters. Jude 1.4 says it. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into license and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who are these fake grace people? Our passage answers the question. It's none other than those who receive the grace of God in vain. What evidence do we have to watch for? These fake Christians, or fake grace people, simply cannot pass the tests of the authority of the church. They reject authority. They hide behind the skirt of, you can't judge me. Its reality of shame is evident. All we are attempting to do as church leaders are to help 
in securing their salvation. How much pride does it take for a fool to hide behind the irrelevant excuses that are in our culture today? To that I say not much. People addicted to pride need to be tested. If they fail, the question becomes, will pride itself block them from an introduction to humility? When proud people are found ungenuine, nominal professors of grace by way of parroting words like a cockatoo. They're unable to embrace the inevitable rejection from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God only accepts the authentic. To be authentic, you need to be a receiver of the grace of God without vain adherence to wordage. To be a receiver of grace, each needs to be filled with the life of grace. This can only happen through the regeneration process or transformation of indwelling salvation. Our ultimate dilemma is keeping in and with the mandates given to us. As in the case of see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness spring up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Well, since Satan has firmly established the twisted modality of authority in the church and the see to it portion of this mandate, well, it just simply becomes the holy ground only a faithful few venture to walk. I often wonder just how many courageous leaders we have remaining. Men who are able to judge without being judgmental. Men who are not afraid of reading and hearing the truth. Men who do not cut and paste passages out of the Bible that conveniently help them with their depraved thinking. Men who are not afraid of being disciplined and discipled and ushered back to restoration. Well, check this out in Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. For they, I'm putting in parentheses here, parents, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for a moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's our key. That's our answer. That's our pathway of deliverance. To be disciplined. Everywhere I turn, I find cowardly, quote-unquote, men of God hiding behind the skirt of vain grace. We need more men like Paul and the twelve disciples. Men who were martyred for stepping up. Keeping in mind when I address the topic of cowards, I speak of most of my Christian life. My flesh is best defined by this word. Today I'm known for being bold and courageous, but know this. It is a result of many years of being disciplined by the Lord and learning to accept it. He alone is the one who has moved me from being a people pleaser, a fake grace person, 
or a coward, to that of walking where no man dares to walk. And this is what I believe our passage means by see to it that no one comes short. Revelation 21.8 says, But for the cowardly, and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Here's our warning. Be courageous. Be a man and woman of authentic grace. And knowing that it comes with a price. It would take the writing of a commentary to itemize the cost. But the top ramification is betrayal. Seeing Jesus and most of our early Christians were accustomed to being martyred for stepping up and refusing to betray one another. The price of telling the full truth to all is to receive betrayal from the least of these vain brethren. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to meeting up, hooking up with you in our next Cal Political Series topic.